We're going to start something new this morning. Over the next few weeks, we're going to have some straight talk. And by straight talk, I mean I'm going to be like Mr. Rogers and get all up in your neighborhood. <laughs> straight talk about important things like marriage, parenting, finances. We're going to go to scripture and ask the Bible to give us some just basic, simple, yet straightforward instruction on important areas of life. And this morning we're going to start kind of in a broad sense with straight talk about life. If you've got your copy of scripture with you, I want to invite you to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, we're going we're gonna to look at some basic, simple principles that we need to know about life in general. When you get to Psalm 90, you're going to see the very first thing in the very first verse tells us that this is one of the few psalms that was not written by David. Normally, we think David wrote the psalms, and he did write most of them but not this one. In verse one of chapter 90, it says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And it's important for us to remember that this is a prayer of Moses because it makes more sense when we remember that Moses was the guy who was leading all those people somewhere close to a million probably through the desert for 40 years. A million people, that's a lot of folks to be in charge of. Moses, while you'll remember, didn't really want to take on that responsibility. You remember the burning bush thing that wasn't burning? And he hears God's voice. God says, go and set my people free. Moses says, I don't think I'm your guy. Man, I don't talk right. You know, uh, I, I, I don't look right. I don't even know your name, God. I don't know enough information. I, I'm not qualified. And God basically said, Moses, I'm God. You're not. Do what you're told. And Moses does what he's told. He brings the people out of Egypt. And they wander through the wilderness under Moses' leadership for 40 years. Now imagine a job he didn't want, a job that he felt unqualified for, a job that was going nowhere for 40 years. Reckon Moses might have learned a little bit about life along the way. Because of Moses' prayer in Psalm 90, we're going to get some straight talk about life. We can learn some of the life lessons that he learned. Vicarious learning has always been one of my favorite ways to learn something. I'm the youngest of four. And there are some benefits to being the youngest. Not many. The older kids get everything they want, and then there's nothing left for us. 
However, there are a few benefits to being the youngest, one of which is vicarious learning. I could see what stupid stuff my brothers did and how it caused trouble for them, and then I could avoid that. I didn't have to learn not to drive the Volkswagen around the curve too fast because it will roll. I didn't have to learn that personally. I learned it vicariously. So if we can learn some of life lessons from a guy who lived a long, very valuable, yet also difficult life, I'd like to get in on that kind of learning. And that's what Psalm 90 is all about. While I would love for us to take a couple of weeks just to camp out in Psalm 90 and go verse by verse by verse, instead of that, I'm going to summarize the the chapter this morning, and we're going to find three keys to making life really count. Three keys to making life really count. And the first one is, You have to back up for a godly perspective. You kind of have to back up for a godly perspective. Since we we are in West, that puts us in an interesting position geographically. If we go north from here, we don't have to go very far until we're in Hill County. If we go west from here, we don't have to go very far until we're in Hill County. If we go east from here, we don't go very far until we're in Hill County. Does that not sound confusing? How can that be that I can go three different directions leave my county and enter into that same different county every time. The only way that I can get, the only way I can figure it out and make it make sense is to back up and get the big picture. To back up and see the way things are really laid out. And once I see the way it's laid out, I understand the little red dot represents west and I can go west to Hill County, north to Hill County, east to Hill County. But I have to back up to see the bigger picture. When I go outside in my front yard, since I, especially since I'm on the north end of town, I am very close to Hill County. But I can't see that. All I see is kind of some undeveloped land over there. I have to back up. I have to step out of my normal view of life in order to see the big picture. Moses figured out that in order for life to make sense, and in order for life to to really count, we have to see that life is more than going to work, eating three meals, going to sleep, 
It's, it's more than what we can see and sense around us in the moment. Life is bigger than us. Let me show you. Let's go back to verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now here is his prayer. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses, Moses stepped back to get a godly perspective on life. He, he wasn't overwhelmed by, by what he could see and feel and touch around him in the moment. But he knew in order for life to really count, he, he needed to step back and get a bigger picture. And so he says, Lord, you are our dwelling place in all generations. Bigger than my home, bigger than West, bigger than McLennan County, bigger than Texas, bigger. It, he, he said, you are our dwelling place. My life is not made up of my routine. I am found in my relationship to God. You are our dwelling place, and you have been from generation to, to generation. What is a dwelling place? Why do you have a house? You have a house so that you have a place of security. You, you have a, a house so you have a place of shelter and a place of comfort. A dwelling place is safety, shelter, comfort. God is our dwelling place. He is the one to provide comfort and shelter and security in life. He is our dwelling place. And so first John chapter three at verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. That word abides means to dwell means to, to live in that, that space. You come to my house, I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to let you in the front door. I'm going to show you where you can sit on the couch because the chair is mine. <laughs> I'm probably going to offer you coffee or Dr. Pepper. We're going to visit. You can stay a good while. And then you got to go home because that's my dwelling place. You're a guest. There's a difference, right? Too many of us view our relationship with God as if we're guests. We're going to get together one or two hours a week and hang out. And then we're going to get back to our normal everyday lives full of routine Moses figured out that the way to make life really work is to understand God is our dwelling place. I'm not a guest there. He's my home where I belong. John figured out the same thing. And so he said, whoever keeps his commandments dwells in God and God in him. 
And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit within us is constantly bearing witness to the fact that I belong to God. I am more than my job. Some of y'all need to hear that. I am more than my job. I am more than my family. I am more than my politics. No, I didn't look at anybody in particular. I am a child of an almighty God. And it is in him that I live and breathe and have my being. In order for your life to really count, you got to step out of the routine. And you got to see yourself as you are if you have accepted Christ. Now that's a big if. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've committed your life to him, that means that you've been adopted into God's family. And when you were adopted into God's family, you were welcomed home. You now dwell in him. That relationship defines you. And so we return to our verse that we've adopted as a theme verse for our church. The theme that sums up what it means to be church for us. John 15 and 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides, whoever dwells in me. You find your living, you find your life in that relationship with me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. It is in that relationship that our life bears fruit. In other words, that it makes a difference, that it counts. So the first thing, the first key to making life count, we've got to back up for a godly perspective. And understand that, that he is, he's not only our dwelling place, he's not only the one who provides that comfort and, and that security, but he is an everlasting source of comfort and security. He is our everlasting dwelling. You see in verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth or the world, you were. Before the mountains were formed. God was. Before there was dust, God was. Before the earth even existed, when, when there was nothing, even before the darkness and the chaos that was here before creation, even before the darkness and chaos, God was. But notice, it says at the end of verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is not only eternally past, He is also eternally future. There is no end to God. Let's admit that our human minds cannot comprehend something that has no end. We can't figure that out. Let it blow your mind for a minute that God has never had a beginning. He has always been. Let it blow your mind for just a second that God will never have an ending. He will always be. That's why he chooses for himself the name which means to be. 
Yahweh is I am. For you and me, that sounds like present tense. How can God say before Abraham, I am? How can he say in the future, I am? Because there is no time for God. He is always present, always I am. For you and me, he always has been and always will be, but he always is. That's the kind of dwelling place that his children have. Life begins to really count when I see that life is bigger than my calendar. Bigger than my duties, my routines. My life is defined in him. That's the first step to really making life count. Back up and look at life through the eyes of the one who started it all. The second key to making life really count is to remember that life is short. When you remember that life is short, it motivates you to make sure that yours counts. You see in verse 3, remember uh, uh, Moses is praying. In verse 3 he says, you return man to dust. Genesis Chapter 2, I think it's verse 7. God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. We were formed from the dust of the ground. Now, Moses says, you return man to dust. Which means there comes a time when just as he breathed life into dust and it became a living soul, there is a time when life is taken from that dust and the dust becomes dust again. And that happens to every single one of us. That is our end. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Friends, in order for our lives to count, we have to not only begin by understanding it in the big picture, understanding it's more about God than it is about me, but then we also have to understand that, that my life is short. And because it's short, I don't have a whole lot of time to waste. I'm going to be dust again. You say, well, my life is, is not that short. I've been alive a long time, preacher. I'm getting old. Life is short no matter how long we live. In the Bible, who was, what was the name of the man who lived longer than anyone on record? Methuselah. How long did Methuselah live? I don't know. I don't remember. 900 and something. There we go. 969. Some of y'all knew that. I'm not sure what that says about you, but you knew it. 969 years. Almost a thousand years. And you'd think, well, gosh, that's a long, long life. 
Remember this, we're looking at God's perspective. What does it say in that verse? A thousand years. Methuselah didn't even make it to a thousand. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. Or as a watch in the night. A watch in the night, that's a military term. There were three watches throughout the night. The, the night hours were split into three sections. The guard would watch the first watch. Then that guard would go to sleep and someone else would take over for the next watch. That guard would go to sleep and someone else would take over for the next watch. Moses says that's the way our lives are. Even if we live a really long time in our view, Methuselah didn't, it was almost a thousand. In God's mind, a thousand is just yesterday. And every one of our lives is like a watch in the night. We're here for a while, and then someone else takes, over, takes our spot. We're only here for a limited time, and someone else takes our spot. That's how we view life. Life is short. So Psalm 102 and verse 11 reminds us, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Sounds like Texas in July. <laughs> My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. That's how he defines life. It is temporary. It is short. Again, the next chapter in Psalm 103 and 11 as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. In other words, not long. One of the rules of dealing with finances, and we're going to talk in, in a couple of weeks, straight talk about finances. One of the rules about finances is to, to understand you've got limited funds, so you have to spend them carefully. The reason we have to take care of our money is because there's a limit to it. Same thing is true about life. We, there is a limit to our lives. Therefore, we've got to make every moment count. Because there's only so many of those moments left. There is a website, and I'm not going to tell you the address because... It's an unsecure site, and they ask for personal information, so don't do this. But there is a website where you can go, and it asks you a couple of questions. What's your birthday? Do you smoke? Uh, what do you, uh, what's your, your body weight thing, B I, whatever that is, right? You type in this information, and then it tells you the day, the hour, and the minute that you're going to die. Doesn't that sound awesome? A website that's going to tell you when you're going to die. Well, you know as well as I do. For one thing, none of us really wants to know that. Two, a website can't do that. Because this afternoon is not promised to you. 
None of us knows. This may be what I do know. What I do know is that I have right now. I have a moment. And because I have that moment, I want to make sure that that moment counts for something. Because I don't know that I've got a whole lot of moments left. I have to remember that life is short. There are certain things that you need to do today. Simply because you don't know that you got tomorrow. Some of you have been waiting 20 years to make that phone call for an apology. You've been waiting for the right time. You don't know that you've got tomorrow. You don't know that it's going to come the right time. What you do know is you have right now. Life is short. That means every day is valuable. You know, how, you know when you count money, you get a stack of bills. One, two, three, four, five. That's about as far as I usually get to go. But you know why we count each one? Because each one counts. Each one is valuable. But also as we count them, we know that there's a limit. In just a moment, we're going to talk about counting our days. There's a limit to them, so each one of them is important. Matter of fact, let's just go ahead and jump to that now. The third key to making sure that life counts is to realign your priorities. Realign your priorities. First, we've got to back up and get a godly perspective, understanding that my life is bigger than my routine, that my dwelling is in my relationship with God. And, and then we've got to remember that my life is short, so I, I've got to make sure every moment counts. And as I do that, then I'm ready to realign my priorities. Since, since life is short, I don't want to waste one of those dollars that I'm counting, one of those days that I'm counting. I don't want to waste any of that on stuff that doesn't really matter. I want to realign my priorities and spend my time on that which is most valuable. Look at verse 12 of this chapter. Psalm 90 at 12. So teach us to number our days. To number them. Again, we number them because each one counts. But also to number them means I recognize there's a limit to them. He doesn't pray, God, show me that my days are unlimited, unnumbered. He says, no, get, help me be wise enough to number them, to see that there's a limit to them. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We become wise when we realize that every day counts because there's a limited number of them in my life. So I don't want to waste another day on the mundane. Don't waste another minute on the worthless or the pointless. Don't waste your energy on the things that are not important and then give your leftover efforts to the things that count. Instead, check your priorities. Spend your time and your energy on things that will last, 
on people instead of things, on God's glory instead of your own, on your purpose in this life instead of your selfish pursuits. Numbering your days means to see every one of them as a gift. Every new day is a precious, invaluable gift of God. Make the most of every single one of them that you have left. On October 30, 2005, it was a Sunday morning. We were all shocked, shaken, when we heard the news about Brother Kyle Lake at University Baptist in Waco. That was just before our church got started that I got the news. That morning, Kyle had stepped into the baptistry and he reached up to adjust a microphone and was electrocuted. He died there in the baptistry ready to baptize a young lady. He had already prepared the pulpit to preach that morning. He had no idea in his early 30s that when he stepped into the baptistry, that would be his last activity, his last act. This morning, I want to finish our time together by reading to you an excerpt from the sermon that he had on the pulpit that morning. He was about to preach this to his congregation. He had no idea that this would be his last day and that he would never get to say these words. This is what he said. This is what he had planned to say to his congregation. Live and live well. Breathe. Breathe in and breathe deeply. Be present. Do not be past. Do not be future. Be now. On a crystal clear, breezy, 70 degree day, roll down the windows and feel the wind against your skin. Feel the warmth of the sun. If you run, then allow those first few breaths on a cool autumn day to freeze your lungs. And do not just be alarmed. Be alive. Get knee deep in a novel and lose track of time. If you bike, pedal hard. If you crash, then crash well. Feel the satisfaction of a job well done, a paper well written, a project thoroughly completed, a play well performed. If if you've recently experienced loss, then grieve and grieve well. At the table with friends and family, laugh. And if you eat, then smell. The aromas are not impediments to your day. Steak on the grill, coffee beans freshly ground, cookies in the oven, and taste. Taste every ounce of flavor. Taste every ounce of friendship. Taste every ounce of life because it is most definitely a gift.